so uh, we're back with our seventh episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast, uh, the first infrastructure podcast to shine a light on what we love to call utility strategy. Uh, as we all know, buried utilities pose an enormous risk to any infrastructure project and create extreme uncertainty amongst the different stakeholders. Uh, the thing is that with the right utility strategy, we're able to mitigate that risk and streamline our project, which is what our podcast is all about, uh, sharing and gaining all kinds of insights that will enable just that, helping uh, project managers, utility coordinators, estimators, mappers, planners, designers, engineers, and any other stakeholders overcome the challenges of buried utilities in our right of way. Uh, to help us do just that, we have here with us today, uh, Dr. Doug Gransberg, uh, who's going to talk to us about uh, our industry's biggest problems and what we can do to, to solve them. Uh, so a bit about Dr. Gransberg, he's the president of Gransberg and Associates, a management consulting firm that specializes in structuring scope, cost, and uh, schedule risk on complex infrastructure projects. Uh, his firm has worked on mega projects throughout the, the US, uh, as well as Canada, Latin America, uh, the Middle East, Europe, uh, Australia, uh, and more. He is uh, a retired US Army Corps uh, of Engineers officer and an emeritus professor of construction engineering at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, his firm is currently providing risk management and uh, alternative project delivery services to public agencies and uh, private companies in, uh, well, all across the US, but California, Minnesota, Oregon, Texas, uh, Virginia, uh, and others. Uh, and this also includes uh, nationwide infrastructure risk management contracts uh, for the US uh, Department of uh, the Interior and uh, Amtrak. Uh, and this, uh, this, is, this is how we met uh, Doug. Uh, he is the author of the NCHRP report, uh, which is titled Utility Coordination Using Alternative Contracting Methods, uh, which provides guidelines for developing utility strategies for complex infrastructure projects. Uh, we read this report uh, and we realized that we've got we've to get to know him, uh, we've got to talk to him, and that's exactly what we did. We reached out on LinkedIn and this is how we are where we are today. Uh, so, Doug, I, I hope that's okay that I call you Doug, uh, uh, Doctor Doctor Gransberg. Uh, let's get started. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to appear in your podcast. Yeah. So, so uh, let, let let me throw uh, a phrase out there: utility strategy, which I think uh, through your report has been kind of coined into our. Uh, into our company and company culture. Uh, tell us a bit about what that means for you. Well, a utility strategy is uh, taking a look at uh, you know, what you're going to have to deal with in terms of subsurface risk at the earliest uh, point in project development. Uh, often we, we uh, do the design and then we figure out uh, where the utilities that are going to be conflicts are and then have to deal with them. And so uh, that's not a utility strategy. That's that's a reactive approach to dealing with utility conflicts. 
Yeah. So utility strategy is to sit down and, and, and look at the project before we've got a final alignment, before we've got a final footprint, uh, consider where the potential uh, conflicts are, and then see if we can uh, uh, avoid conflicts. Uh, you know, I think uh, one of the most important parts is to find out where the utilities are not and see if we can build there. Uh, because uh, it's really a three-step process when it comes to utilities. You know, the first is utility avoidance. Uh, second is utility uh, protection. If we have to uh, build you know, over a utility or around a utility, and last and probably the the least desirable is utility relocation. And so, really, the sitting down, looking at the uh, the project uh, footprint, and uh, assessing whether or not uh, we can uh, adjust the uh, lowest cost strategy uh, uh, and uh, you know rather than minimize the uh, capital cost by making it uh, run from point a to point b maybe we can uh, shift it a little bit make it cost a little more and avoid all the utility problems uh, and maximize our uh, our certainty of our schedule usually that's the major issue with utilities is schedule risk uh, by investing in a little bit more scope now doug i'm going to ask you a question and i correct me if i'm wrong the kick the can down the uh, road method of let the other person deal with it it is so prevalent and the uh, the silos of the, the different con construction budgets and engineering budgets are are so prevalent how do we actually get to, how do we actually climb that mountain of trying to get people to, to change like what you've said has been speaking to me for the last 20 something years which i've been in the industry here in north america and it's just so hard to to get people to actually realize you know that the, the budgets are all the same in the end but the, the silos which people put them in are are what actually differentiates between actually getting something done correctly and getting something done incorrectly and there's one other thing I keep on hearing about utility accommodation in uh, in those different phrases as well. Protection, accommodation. What does that actually do to the uh, the project or the, the project strategy of uh, utility risk uh, mitigation? Well, the, the, the major issue is the, uh, you know, the, the low bid system that we have uh, where our decision uh, criterion is to minimize uh, the capital cost. And so we're trying to design, uh, develop the cheapest possible project. And you know, in public works, there's, there's a lot of political uh, uh, pressure to be able to justify value for money and uh, show that you're not spending any more. Uh, nothing wrong with that. That's always gonna be there. We can't change that. But uh, at the end of the day, what you're describing, Ophir, is uh, the, the fact that we're doing things in series rather than, uh, uh, you know, bringing everybody to the table at the very beginning. Uh, one, of the, one of the projects, you know, in, uh, uh, down in uh, Australia and New Zealand, uh, we, we do a lot of work. Uh, they use a, a contracting method called alliancing, where they literally bring the engineer and the contractor and the owner all together in a, on day one. Uh, so that uh, they become uh, construction-centric uh, uh, rather than design-centric. Our current uh, 
paradigm in the, well, it's all over the world. It's not just in North America, but uh, it's, we, we seem to have all the lawyers uh, in North America uh, and they drive a lot of our decisions. But the current thing is to, is to, you know, design the cheapest project. So we're, we focus on the design. So our, the, the low bid system uh, is, is based on uh, a design centric approach. And we forget that we don't, we wouldn't be designing it if we didn't need to build it. And you, you can't get over a river on a set of construction documents. Uh, and so, you know, getting that contract early contractor involvement as well as other third party involvements, uh, uh, in terms of coming up with a very constructible project. And when you maximize constructability, you change your, your decision criterion from minimize cost to maximize cost certainty. In other words, what we're shooting for is no longer trying to get it as cheap as possible, but to, you know, have bring the project in on time, on budget to the level of quality that we can afford. Uh, and that's really what my company does that we is, is running around trying to address that mountain that you uh, you described is uh, getting people to do things together in a collaborative fashion early in the project to where uh, we can look at the utility uh, risk and say, OK, well, what if we do this? Uh, what if we change this feature? What if we you know, don't try to build this kind of a foundation, uh, look for uh, other alternatives, you know, the, the accommodation of utilities, the, you know, uh, protecting them so that, uh, and knowing you're going to protect them at the, at the beginning. So the, the plan comes together. And at the end of the day, nobody gets a, an award for finishing under budget or ahead of schedule, but everybody, uh, you know, the, the taxpayer or the, or the corporate board of directors gets the project as planned, you know, on schedule, on budget. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> it, it sounds like we have a bit of a culture problem uh, in the industry, referring to, to what a field was saying before, that we're just, we're just kicking the can down the road. Like we're not, we're, we're, we're passing down the, the responsibilities. How do we, how do we stop that? How do we put an end to this type of... Uh, I don't want to be a, too blunt, but rogue attitude. So, yeah. Well, I I think uh, you know we we tend to work on complex projects, and the the difference between complex projects and routine projects are, you know, the in complex projects there's an awful lot of uh, risk that is outside the control of the project manager. Uh, in a routine project, you know, it's it's you know, cost, scope, and schedule, and the project manager pretty much controls a lot of that stuff. But the, the minute you, you reach a point where you have to wait for a utility company to move a, uh, uh, a uh, you know, a water line or a, a major sewer line, now suddenly the project manager no longer controls the schedule. Uh, and and the, the certainty of the schedule uh, goes down. Uh, and so, you know, you know, to answer your question, perhaps, David, it, it's uh, uh, if we're going to change it, what we have to do is, is change our focus and, and focus on schedule. Uh, and, you know, old military term of backward planning as opposed to yeah. using yeah. the path method where we're 
forward planning, and then uh, that allows us to kick the can down the road. Uh, if you have to kick the can backwards, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not as easy. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, yeah, I'm really trying to get a sense here. So the alternative APD, alternative project delivery, or the the new P3 models, or the uh, you know the the P3 partnerships, or the design build, or the you know the design build models. What do you see as that uh, shining light? Like, or is it going to be a mixture of both? Is it going to be a combination? And the truth be known. From what I've been reading, the actual P3 projects actually cost a little more, but they're a lot less upfront, and that's why they're uh, that's why they're so popular right now. That the uh, the political structure is not showing the true cost of the project, but a reduced cost upfront, and then the long term that cost goes up. Is that something which we're looking at, or is that something which uh, you believe can work, or? Yeah, well, first off, I, I don't believe any of the statistics that you see about project delivery methods, because... Hmm. You, you need to elaborate on, on a statement like that, Doug. <laughs> well, you know, one, one, of the, one of the fundamental assumptions in probability and statistics, I'll put my professor hat on here, is that all the data points are identical. So uh, how many P3 projects are identical? None. How many construction None. projects are identical? None. None. Uh, so when we see sure. these this research, and by the way, I did a lot of that research, you know, but people don't read the last paragraph, which talks about the limitations that says here are the here are the assumptions that we had to make to be able to, to come up with a, a finding. But to normalize what, what, the study, yeah, yeah, and, and what I see is that you know. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the uh, the traditional design bid build system for routine projects. I mean, we we built we built our nations on using that system. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can drive down the road in front of my house. It, it was a low bid road. Uh, however, we do have complex projects where we need to have a much higher level of collaboration between the various parties. Uh, P3 is a way to negotiate the risk. Uh, in uh, progressive design build, we have an opportunity to to uh, bring the contractor and the, the designer together in a team and, and negotiate the scope as well as the risk that's associated with various alternatives. And the owner can make decisions based on priced alternatives rather than uh, forcing somebody to give them a lump sum price for something that hasn't been designed yet. Uh, you know, the alternative delivery furnishes a way to, to uh, uh, get early contractor involvement and uh, a higher level of collaboration. Uh, and if you start you know, the report that uh, David uh, mentioned, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we had in there was that, you know, we have to, we have to get the utility companies. We have to get the utility issues into the early conceptual thing. Uh, and if we have a collaborative atmosphere, it's it's easier to do so. Uh, but if we have an adversarial at, at, at atmosphere, it's easier to say, okay, that's the contractor's problem. Ultimately, it's always the owner's problem because, you know, it's the first project at the end of the day. So uh, well, what have you experienced uh, regarding this in the, in the industry? 
like what have you seen how have you seen utility owners act to to change it well i mean in the in the u.s uh, I, we do most of our work in the transportation industry uh but uh, what we've seen is uh uh you know back in about uh, 2000 the 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 transportation industry uh, discovered design build. I mean, I had done my first design build project in 1985 when I was still in the Corps of Engineers. Uh, and it was like, this was a new deal. Uh, they didn't recognize that, you know, the, the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City was actually a design build project. <laughs> and it, it turned out pretty darn, pretty it turned darn out well. Okay. It turned out okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was because uh, the, the Roblings uh, designed it. The Roblings were in charge of building it, and uh, and they, they they I mean they dealt with all the issues up front collaboratively. Uh, and that's once we got into doing it in realizing that we don't need to wait, you know, until we've picked what kinds of petunias we're going to plant uh, after we've built the highway uh, to to you know, start construction, uh, suddenly that allowed things to, to get moving forward. Uh, there's, you know, none of these things are a magic bullet. Uh, of course. It, what it is, is, is exactly what I forget which one of you said it. I mean, what we have to do is, is change, change the culture and the culture yeah. is, it, it's all about getting the project built consess, uh, successfully. And that usually means from the designer's perspective, we have to invest in pre-construction. Uh, you know, every dollar we spend in pre-construction, I saw a, a study whose statistics I probably don't trust either, but they say that it saves about $6 in construction. I don't know how much it saves, but I do know that a study of my own, we found that uh, we could increase uh, cost certainty uh, by, you know, significantly by spending more time solving problems in pre-construction, uh, you know, le leveraging technology, uh, you know, those types of things. So, Can you elaborate on that cost certainty? Because that, that's really interesting because a lot of times, You'll have that bottom line cost or the lump sum uh, which they come in with but really at the end of the day they're going to be paying a lot more because of all the different changes and the, all the different change orders and all the different things that uh, conditions not met or conditions not specified within contract all right just really things like that what what items will it really sharpen on the cost uh you know the the cost uh that that cost that final cost by doing these pre-construction uh and, and what what tasks are you talking about? Wait, I gotta I, I gotta butt in because uh, uh, I'd like also Doug to, to refer to someone who commented uh, one of my posts today, uh, and it's a guy a guy who's a senior estimator in uh, Kimmins uh, Contracting, and he uh, he says that better SUE would lead to better estimates, but lack of uh, SUE doesn't make estimating any more difficult. What it does make more difficult is ensuring clients or owners understand the potential cost increases for unforeseen conditions. Uh, developing good uh, verbiage, don't really know that word, for the notes, clarifications, exclusions uh, that accompany a proposal is just as important as a pricing exercise itself. A good estimator wants to ensure the client's 
that the client knows what the proposal does and does not, does not include. Well, that's exactly so. what I just was talking about. Uh, if we can negotiate the, uh, the scope and the risk, uh, that, I mean, the client knows, but in a uh, lump sum bid or a lump sum uh, uh, proposal, they don't know the 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 uh, the contractor uh, uh, puts its risk somewhere inside that price, uh, and even though they may have estimated uh, uh, may have a contingency for utility relocations that are not uh, shown on the uh, the original drawings, uh, there's nothing in there that that, that gives it visibility. So when you do run into something that's unknown, then there's a they turn to the changes clause and say, okay, uh, we, we you know we have to we just hit this waterline, we got to move it, and so give us more money. So again, that yep. it's that the idea of of a collaboratively uh, uh, arriving at what the final scope of work is. I, I read a real interesting uh, essay on scope creep which is another another term we bandy about in the industry. And it was titled in defense of scope creep. So what the, the author really was saying is that scope creep is just the, a normal process of the owner finally figuring out exactly what it needs. And it, you know, that we should, uh, should uh, uh, include that. We should plan for that. And if we can, if we can use alternative delivery methods, we can do that. I mean, it, the, it's a problem during design. With design, I include, by the way, in pre-construction. And so it's everything that happens up until we put a shovel in the ground. And, uh, and so, it, you know, I, I, to me, it was, a, I, I had never thought about it that way. And uh, in the, right now, uh, one of the projects that we're doing, we're being uh, with, the, with Minnesota uh, Department of Transportation, we're being very, clear to draw a bright line between scope creep and scope change. Uh, and, you know, scope creep is, uh, we, you know, we, you know, the size of the reinforcing steel has to increase because now that we've got the dead loads for what's going to be on the bridge deck, it's greater than what we originally uh, designed. So we're going to have to go back and, and beef it up. And, and that's just normal part of the the process where scope changes, we we thought all we needed was to put a new deck on the bridge, but now we've realized looking at it that we have to replace the entire bridge. I mean, that's not scope creep. It's a new project that, uh, and, and so that's part of that, that the, the certainty that Ophir was asking about, uh, you know, you, you, if you can negotiate what the final scope is, if you can get all the the parties together and say, okay, here, here's where it, it is. Uh, this is what we really need, uh, you know, rather than, well, as long as we're going to tear up the road, let's go ahead and do this too. Well, <laughs> that's scope. That's a scope change. Uh, it, 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 nothing wrong with that. We just, the owner has to know it. The estimator as, as your uh, post uh, indicated. I'll give you his name. His name yeah. is Thomas Butler. Thomas Butler, you've got a shout out, shout out on the Utility Strategy Podcast. I'll tag you in the comments. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know what Thomas said there is is key. It, uh, it, I mean, the we've been estimating uh, without Sue for years, for decades. So it's still the same estimating process. But if you're able to know more about what's there, then that helps you refine the risk profile, and then you don't have to, you know. I mean, what's a contingency? It should be the cost of the unknowns at the time of the estimate. And so the total lower my contingency can be. You know, one of the biggest things I find is the disconnect between procurement, the professionals, and the owner. And that's something that drives me crazy. Procurement puts out a a cookie-cutter document. You know, this is the legal document which we're putting out. The, uh, the engineers and the designers know what they need of it, and they go back to everyone saying, well, hang on a second, this doesn't really cover what we need. And the owner's coming back saying, well, how, what's gonna, how, how much is this going to cost me and, and keep it in line? So I, I think that's that disconnect between the three of them, because a lot of times what I've seen, which really uh, astounds me, is when procurement puts out a document and it's very, very rigid and says thou shall do X, Y, and Z. And uh, you have questions that come back saying, well, wait a minute, X, Y, and Z do not fit this actual project. And they're saying, well, work it in the best you can. It's fine. (laughs) Then when you actually have the project going forward, you go back to the owner saying, and the engineer and the the designer saying, well, wait a minute, this is not going to work. And they come back to you saying, well, wait a minute, you're the professional. You're the one who bid the project. Go do it anyways. So it's really a disconnect, which I find between those three entities, procurement, and of course, the lawyers within procurement who are setting the tones and mitigating the risk for the owner, to the designer, to the owner, and and trying to actually get a level playing field right through and through. So I'd like to know what your your opinion is, especially with, uh, you have such strong opinions on how things should be done, and I really appreciate it, and I really enjoy it. And a couple of comments you've, you've told me in the last couple, you know, in our last few conversations have been very interesting. And I started looking into a couple of, uh, a couple of your different comments saying, you know, let's not do the standard, but let's look at another approach and, and look at where the utilities are not versus where they are as an example. So Doug. Yeah. Well, the procurement is part of pre-construction. And uh, one of the one of the things, uh, you know, we, we also do estimates uh, for our clients. Uh, that's one of our things. And uh, one of the things I estimate is the uh, the cost of the boilerplate that's in the contract. Uh, so it's really quantifying the risk profile that's portrayed by the procurement uh, documents. So if You know, if it's got a a clause in there that says that the contractor is responsible for all unforeseen conditions, well, okay. Uh, You know, if the contractor wants to bid the project anyway, then we have to put money in there that says that, uh, you know, he's going to have to pay for the risks. Now, interestingly enough, uh, I also did a report that was uh, developed the uh, guidelines for geotechnical risk management and design build projects. So in other words, uh, how do you manage risk when you haven't done any of the geotechnical studies and you have to give them a lump sum price up front? One of my uh, 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 co-authors is one of the top construction lawyers here in the US. And Mike took a look at all the case law and actually found out that uh, 
these clauses, these exculpatory clauses, like the one I just described, are generally not enforceable in court. All it, all they do is enrich wow. uh, the, the the legal folks. Uh, at, Make you them know, feel and, better. And, yeah, I mean, it looks like you're 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 you know you're protecting, uh, but they don't realize what the cost is. And you literally pay twice. Uh, you know, one during the bid, and say okay, you know, this is what they're going to say, and then secondly, uh, after the you know the courts decide. I, I interviewed a contractor. Uh, as part of this uh, project. And one of the things he mentioned that I thought was really insightful is the real risk to the contractor of utilities and, and uh, subsurface conditions is not the actual cost of fixing it. It's whether or not they have to sue the owner to get paid after they fix it. And and believe me, contractors are, they, they got the best estimators in in the industry. Uh, yeah. and they know, they know what these risks are and they price these risks. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if we can all get together and talk about these things and price the risks in advance and maybe, you know, allocate the risks to, to the party that can best manage it, uh, we'll end up with much higher cost and schedule certainty. Because if you look at a contractor's perspective, you know, on a project, everybody is going to be bidding the same amount of materials and they're all probably going to buy it from the same place at the lowest cost. So that's not a competitive part of that bid. Everybody has to pay whatever the prevailing wages are, union scales, those kind of things. So there's no competition there. We're all building the same projects. So it's pretty much the same set of equipment. And really the only difference is do you own that do you own it or do you have to rent it? So there's not much there. So really the competition is in the markups. Uh, and how much their profit, uh, you know, what's the contractor's uh, indirect and overhead rate? You know, if you're working out of your garage, then you got a low one. If you you know, if you're a major company, you've got a high one. Uh, and then your contingency, the risk. Well, we, you know, we're, we're probably not, there's no way we can control in the way we deliver a project, the profit and uh, overhead. That's gonna be, that's a business decision that's being made by the winner. But we sure can control the risk. And, uh, you know, for instance, uh, I, I was on a project where when it was, uh, we were using construction manager general contractor, also called CM at risk. Uh, where the contractor came in and said, I want to do utility coordination. I mean, uh, in CM at risk, you bring the contractor in early, usually before 30% design is, is complete. And the owner was shocked and said, oh, no, you can't do that. Uh, you know, we have to, that's, the, that's a design professional's job. He said, what do you mean? I work with the utility companies every day. I mean, <laughs> that that yeah. is the one thing. You know, I care about schedule now that I've won the project. Uh, and that's the one thing that will drive my schedule up. So why don't you just let me do it and I'll take the risk for it. So if we run into something that I don't find, you guys don't have to pay for that. That's wow. that's on me. Uh, and so, well, with, you know, with the kind of technology we have, I mean, subsurface utility engineering is one you know, one way to do it. Uh, obviously, 4M has got a solution that uh, that can certainly uh, enhance that. 
And then, you know, it's, and contractors have the old fashioned way. They've got backhoes that, you know, they can go look at the ass builds, <laughs> go out there and dig a hole and see if it's really true. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's that the, the holistic approach to dealing with these kinds of risks in a utility strategy, but you, you, you don't get the benefit if you don't start early. And, you know, and that, and that's, you know, that's the, that's the issue. And how early, to, Doug? How early? Huh? How, how early should we start? Should should as should early the... as practical? I mean, there are you know, if, if in a private industry, there's there's there you don't have the restrictions the public sector has. So not sure they have the awareness though. Well, uh, some do. Uh, it just it it depends on the uh, the client. To, I mean, you get in with some of the oil companies, some of the folks that are doing uh, EPC. I mean, they, they, you know, that they, they do a lot of that stuff. Uh, the, however, you know, you get into the public sector, you do have some restrictions because you can't uh, make commitments unless you have authorization from whatever a legislature or a city council or whatever it uh, might be. But there's still nothing to stop them if they can justify using alternative delivery from bringing the contractor in early earlier as early as practical is the term i use i mean they're you know at some point somebody has to make the decision that yeah we're going to do cm at risk we're going to do design build we're gonna, you know this is going to need to be and p3 is a different animal that's usually something that happens all by itself uh, and that it usually happens not with relationship to cost, but rather relationship to available funding. They need private uh, sector funding to be able to start the project now, uh, rather than uh, waiting for tax monies to be accumulated so that they can build the project in 10 years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Doug, I'm gonna ask you, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Where did you accumulate such knowledge on the alternative delivery process? Like what brought you to this point today that you are so involved and you're so uh, outspoken in terms of what you do and, and how you do it? Well, I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I'm almost 70. Uh, and I started in alternative delivery in 1985, you know, uh, uh, and uh, have been involved with it uh, uh, basically my whole career, but my last uh, assignment uh, before I retired from the army was the, I was uh, an area engineer and I had a $200 million uh, contract construction project program. And for, for those that don't understand the American uh, system with the Corps of Engineers, it's got two sides. It's got the uh, put on your helmet and grab your gun side. And then it's got contract construction. Uh, we, the Corps of Engineers is literally the largest engineering organization in the world. Maybe the Chinese have something bigger nowadays, but, uh, uh, you know, and I was, I was selected to be the, the pilot field office to do 100% best value contracting. So that meant no low bids. Uh, and so I got away from the root of all evil there, the low bid system. <laughs> where you know a really good contractor has to submit a price lower than an idiot in order to win uh i mean i i look at it i said why why don't we want the best contractor as well as the best designers 
And the answer is, of course we do. <laughs> but, you know, our system won't let us. And I had the opportunity for a two-year pilot uh, project or program is about $400 million worth of construction to do that, to make the contractors past performance and uh, uh, qualifications uh, be a factor of whether or not they were selected. At the end of the program, they audited me and found out that, uh, uh, one, you know, the key thing they found out uh, was that uh, I was no longer authorized a full-time attorney on my staff because I didn't have enough claims and change orders to, to justify that. And to me, that was a really good, uh, a really good outcome because that ultimately you know, we, we had to go to court one time. And this is federal, you know, I mean, this, this is the thing where the procurement system is as bound up as it can be. I mean, it's almost impossible to change, but if you pick a good engineer and a good contractor, you'll probably have a good project. What we do is we pick the best engineer we can find, and then we go out and find the cheapest contractor and wonder why can't we stay on budget? Well, the engineer's not the best estimator. So you know, they gave it their best shot and they think they can build it for the owner's budget. I mean, there's nothing you know nefarious about the engineer's estimate other than it's not being done by professional estimators who can get fired if it's off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I've gotten. And then once I, once I got into academia, that's where I, I you know, I, fo I focused my research because nobody knew how to do that. And, you know, it wouldn't be research if you knew the answer to the question. So that's, that's how I've gotten into it. Uh, I started my consulting practice in 1996 because in the U.S., you don't get 12-month academic contracts. You get nine-month academic contracts. So having some kids in school, I, boys needed to be fed. I did that. Uh, and that got me involved in an awful lot of this stuff. I mean, and it basically built the, the business that I'm, I'm running full-time today. Uh, so, Do you have that one key project you can talk about? that really uh, you see that uh, that difference which you made on the uh, on the uh, on the procurement team or on the the actual delivery method even with no names <laughs> of course with no names <laughs> it's 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 hard to pick one uh, i mean I, I i was involved in writing the rfp for the panama canal expansion project and then wow. later on uh, was involved in uh, sorting through the claims uh, and delay claims that were as a result of sub subsurface conditions. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I, I, I can claim any credit. I really just added structure to the thought process. Uh, some of the projects we're involved in directly right now. Uh, uh, one in Georgia where, you know, an, an example of investing in pre-construction uh, was we made the decision uh, to not do any uh, geotechnical investigation for a uh, number of, uh, a large number of bridges. They were small bridges and just make the de design decision to found them on rock. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, it saved two years in the, uh, 
in the pre-construction process. Uh, so, you know, rather than dinking around with a, spending a whole bunch of money trying to build the cheapest foundation, we basically, we just said the best foundation is one that never settles. So let's just invest in that right now. We increased cost certainty. We increased schedule certainty. And then we were able to focus the pre-construction period on the things that uh, were really risky uh, and eliminate that one altogether. So, Do you see people actually turning around and changing the way they're thinking, especially with the, the, the stimulus, uh, the infrastructure stimulus spending, which is going to be happening in the next few years? Or do you, do you see a status quo right now? People are being forced to change. Uh, we just recently signed a contract with Amtrak, which is the National Railroad Cor Corporation. Uh, they expect to get an enormous amount of money over the next decade uh, to, to bring passenger service back up in the, in the United States. And, and their director of capital programs uh, and one of the senior the top management folks have basically come to the conclusion that they can't spend the money if they don't change the way they do business. Uh, wow. That they wait for the design to be complete before That's they start. That's a hell of a saying. Yeah, and it's the same way uh, across the U.S., the, the Department of Interior work that we're doing. Uh, uh, we, we've structured some contracts, procurement things, uh, that are, are never been done before by a, by a federal agency. Uh, I mean, we, we are literally setting up uh, design-build, on-call design-build contracts to build things from Guam to Puerto Rico. Wow. Uh, that are where the assets are already in place, uh, uh, where we can have the contractor and the and the uh, the designer uh, and the owner collaborate uh, at the earliest possible stage. I mean, literally before they've even looked at uh, environmental issues and stuff, so the contractor can contribute there. So. Now, what we're talking, what you're talking about is a, a lot of uh, public projects. How about the private entities like the uh, the gas companies or even better, the telecoms right now who are investing billions of dollars for their fiber overlays sure. right through North America? Does uh, How do we get it into their hands as well of that collaboration process? Well, we work for a, uh, a utility company in California. It's a, a water one. And uh, uh, you know, we, we've basically uh, have, have them that they've gone to using what is called progressive design build, which is, again, it's the same thing. I mean, they, it's, it's a water company that furnishes water in Orange County, the LA area, San Jose, uh, a lot of rapidly growing things. Uh, you know, they are a utility, but their biggest problem are, is all the other utilities. Uh, but as far as getting it to them, it's a matter of awareness. It, it's it's a matter of, you know, when you change when you when you change your paradigm, and I hate that word because it's become so cliche. When you change your culture, you, you have to have a reason. You know, yeah. why, you know why you know why would I why would I want to do something that uh, might fail? You know, and then people would criticize me. Uh, and I can do something I know is going to fail, but I can blame the system. I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, well, you know, the, the old saying goes, uh, 
nobody got fired for hiring Intel, right? Or IBM yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So, you know, Amtrak, they, uh, they are going to be doing something new. We're working with the Washington Metro Transit Authority, uh, subway in the, in the capital. They're doing their first uh, construction manager general contractor project on a tunnel that's uh, very complex. Uh, why? Well, they have to have it done really fast. And it is, it's, it's an easy thing to design. The problem is it's going to be hard to construct because they can't stop the trains running in Washington, D.C. And so construction centricity, you know, it, you know, if you look at it, not from a standpoint of procurement, not from a standpoint of design, but that procurement and design have to support the construction project. It's not, it's not this serial thing. That's, that's where it has to be. And so if you're a telecom and you're putting out broadband all over, uh, you know, rural South Dakota, because uh, now there's money available to do something like that, or there's demand. Okay. How much resource do we have? Uh, We've got a fixed set of resources to get this thing done. Uh, how are we going to get it done in time? How much, you know, how long are this, is the stimulus funding going to be available? Uh, you know, I, I did a, a, a quick calculation for one of the states, and I don't think they can spend the amount of money they think they've got coming. I don't, there's not enough contractors. It, it, it's not necessarily in-house resources. They're going to be competing with every other state in the United States for qualified uh, contractors. We can't get enough materials these days thanks to the COVID uh, supply chain interruption. Uh, well, those are all risks. That you know? means that prices are going to go up for infrastructure. Well, and that, that means that if we can avoid utilities, we don't need to buy new pipe. You know, is it easier for us to get more asphalt or, you know, by making the road a little bit longer? Uh, yeah. You know, this it's a very interrelated thing, and we're really at a at a, an interesting point in the global construction market right now. Uh, that that uh, there's going to be we're going to have these reasons to change. Some some are not going to, you know, they they just won't. But those that will 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 be able to leverage the potential benefits of technology and uh, the. The, the new delivery systems that have been proven. They're not new. I mean, you know, Notre Dame, Notre Dame Cathedral was a design build project, you know, and it turned out pretty good. I mean, the word architect means master builder. It does not mean master designer. So, you know, hang on. Didn't the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral burn down last year? Yeah. But how, after how yeah. many years? <laughs> yeah. We got to give it some credit. We got to yeah, give it some credit. Yeah, you know, Brooklyn Bridge, you know, I mean, it, you know, we've, these things are proven, we've done it before. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's just a matter of realizing that it, it's about construction, it's about getting the construction done. And also, post construction, you know, life cycle uh, costs, you know, how do we locate things in a way where they're easy to maintain, where they're easy to operate? Uh, uh, and, and just, and it's all about that risk. Uh, but if, if all we focus on is, is having the cheapest capital uh, cost, then we're, we're, we're going to give up a lot of long-term benefits. 
Do you think the... I have a funny story. Uh, I have a really funny story about that. So in Ontario, for example, in Ontario, Canada, they actually mandate that all PVC uh, pipes are all non-conductive pipes which go on the ground have to have a tracer wire uh, just so that you can find them afterwards so you can actually uh, maintain them. And uh, I go to other jurisdictions and it's it's just not there. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And they're saying, no, no, it's going to add costs. It's going to... But, you know, just the fact that you know where it is and you can maintain it and, and find your asset is worth 10 times more than that uh, you know, that dollar a meter which you're saving up front or whatever it is or you know 30 cents a foot or whatever it may be yeah so it's really incredible the the lack of forward vision and that that finite cost of what's it going to cost me right now what's it going to do for my tax base and what's it going to do for my uh, my political aspirations of of the projects i promised i'd deliver over the years so <laughs> Well, it, it gets down to a business case, you know, you've got to make that business case. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, some, some places aren't going to do it. They're just, they're, they're, they're not going to change. End of story. <laughs> I live in a state where that's uh, in Oklahoma, where that's, uh, we're pretty conservative when it comes to our construction. I mean, I don't do any work in Oklahoma <laughs> because they don't need me. <laughs> Doug, uh, what, do you think that the uh, the two phase uh, method solution in uh, design uh, design and build is a solution? Like, for example, what's going on in TechStop? Like, do you think do you think it's an answer? It's an answer for certain kinds of projects. I mean, you know it. I'm, I'm not a believer in, in that every, there's a single way to deliver any given project because they're all different. And, you know, what TxDOT is doing is, you know, uh, for those projects that they select design build on, uh, you know, they go through an analysis to determine whether or not uh, that makes sense. Uh, they, you know, other, other states are using... Uh, I've been using design build a lot longer than TxDOT. Uh, they've they've learned how to leverage the benefits to probably uh, better just because they got more experience. I mean, uh, look at Utah. Uh, for some reason, their political climate is is very positive. Yeah, they can do pretty much anything they want. They don't have the adversarial type issues that you get up in like in the northeastern United States and and Canada, where yeah. you know. Yeah. But I mean, they had. I'll, I'll give you an example. They had a project where they they literally uh, it was a CMGC project, uh, six six hundred million, I think, four hundred million, something like that where the contractor weighed in early on and said, if we can move the road over eight feet, uh, we can save this much money. And we're talking a uh, hundred million dollars or more because there's this uh, huge natural gas supply line that wow. if, if we start getting close to it, we're going to have to really slow down production. Uh, and, and if we can stay out of that envelope, we will, I mean, and they knew where it was. It wasn't like it was an un, unknown utility. I mean, and and they went ahead, stopped, went back through their environmental authorization process, which is something they're loath to do, uh, and, and 
reap the benefits. Uh, so it, again, it's that early, you know, getting everybody together early on and looking at it, like, how are we going to build this project? Uh, rather than, you know, what's the best design? Doug, towards uh, wrapping up, I have two, two last questions. Um, first, in a sentence, two sentences, what, what do you think that engineers should be doing that they aren't doing at the moment? They need to embrace the idea of uh, uh, a utility strategy. Uh, and that strategy probably needs to be a little broader and, and includes also subsurface conditions. So that we're, we're, we're getting the information early in the design process so that design decisions can be made uh, on a best for project basis. And then secondly, they, they need to uh, be able to become construction centric. They need to, to be focused not on just the design itself, but also on how easy is it to build. And, and there's a number of ways that can be done in, in all of the project delivery methods. But the best way is just to go ahead and hire the contractor that's going to build it and let them tell you what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. So, yeah. So last question, and some would say most important, who do you think we should have next on the podcast? We're looking for experts at least as good as you. <laughs> have you had a utility contractor on uh, your podcast? No. I, that, there we go. That's what I would do. I mean, uh, you know, we tend to focus uh, on the front end of these things and uh, folks on the back end are often have wisdom that can be greatly leveraged uh, by those of us that, that don't have to stick pipe in the ground for a living. So. <laughs> Any names you had in mind, Doug? Uh, well, there's a, a guy named Gary Chambers that, uh, that I work with a lot. He's one of the authors of the report, the NCHRP report. Yeah. Gary is uh, utility construction for airports primarily, but uh, Gary's a, he's a good old, he's a Texas boy. And uh, <laughs> we love, we love Texan boys. We'll tell you like it is. <laughs> <laughs> so Doug, Doug, we're going to need uh, an introduction and an invite from you to, to Gary to join us one of uh, our podcast episodes yeah i'm uh, sure he, he he may or may not do it it's hard to say what gary yeah well he'll tell he'll tell us straight to our face so yes we'll he will that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh doug this has been a pleasure uh lots of lots of value lots of key insights that uh, that our listeners and the, the industry should pay attention to uh, obviously, we'll be uh, we'll be putting this up on all our channels on LinkedIn, YouTube, website, and uh, and so on, um, so everyone can get access to and pick your brain from remote. So, yeah. So, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate. And you know what? Happy New Year! And Happy New Year! It is. Uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be it's the twenty eighth today, I believe. Yeah. We have a. We have a couple more days till the new year. Everyone really keeps keep safe and enjoy yourselves and uh, take it easy on the first. 
you know, you don't have to have that third or fourth drink. Moderation <laughs> is the key. Depends. And it, and enjoying yourself. Exactly. Don't do anything that will embarrass your family or your company. Exactly. 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 It's funny. I just heard a podcast which David did yesterday on uh, a couple of months ago on a uh, on a military thing, and he, and he talked about that one common thing right across all militaries is that pre. Uh, that the pre-leaf safety briefing. Yeah, <laughs> <And> I felt <laughs> I felt like I just did that as well. So my apologies to everyone, but really enjoy yourselves, and we're really looking forward to uh, to dealing and discussing with all these different issues in the Utility Strategy Podcast going forward. So absolutely, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you again.